नमस्ते वेलकम टू द पॉडकास्ट दिस योर होस्ट कुशल ऑल राइट टुडेज पॉडकास्ट इज गोइंग टू बी ऑन श्रीलंका अलॉट हैज हैपेंड इन द लास्ट फ्यू वीक्स एटलीस्ट आई हैव बीन ट्रैवलिंग ऑल ओवर नॉर्थ अमेरिका एंड आई कीप कैचिंग दीज वीडियोज इवन वन आई वॉज इन इंडिया इट स्टार्टेड सो बाई द टाइम आई केम इन इट्स इट्स गेटिंग कन्फ्यूजिंग एंड आई वॉज लाइक यार किससे बात करें कुछ समझ में नहीं आ रहा है अभी आई डोंट नो अलॉट ऑफ श्रीलंकन्स पर्सनली and then uh, it's it's interesting that it's literally today on the july of 22nd <laughs> that uh, you know sh- it's uh, it's uh, that uh, shimoy wrote this uh, piece on sri lanka and i was like shimoy podcast pe aao <laughs> and here it is he he is with chatting with me shimoy thanks for coming thank you so much for inviting me kushal always a pleasure to speak to you All right, Chima. Let's start like this because this is uh, this has always been my rule of conducting podcasts. So let us yeah. assume that people know nothing. So let's start with the basics. Let's start with the mm-hmm. basics of what's happening over there. Okay. So uh, to put it very simply, Sri Lanka has run out of cash. Uh, see, it is a small island nation. It is not self-sufficient in many things. So it needs uh, foreign exchange to buy a lot of basic necessities. such mm-hmm. as fuel food medicines and simply put it has run out of cash why has it run out of cash because the government is not earning enough and why is the government not earning enough the government is not earning enough because whatever the government is earning almost 70% of that in fact probably even more is going in servicing the past debts the interest of the loans that it had taken so it is simply left with no money and to mitigate that situation uh, it started printing money like crazy to pay the salary of government uh, employees uh, to meet the pension obligations and what it did uh, did in effect was that it hiked up the inflation rate like crazy so one uh, bottle uh, tin of baby food cost in sri lankan rupees like around 500 rupees or something like that even more than that apparently uh, the inflation is so bad it is it is right now 58% and uh, estimate it there estimates that it could go up to 70% so My it goodness. is the situation is very bad it doesn't have enough money to buy shipment of fuels and it is right now uh, sort of living on the credit lines that india has extended it is uh, trying to negotiate with the imf it should have negotiated with the imf long back but it held back in negotiating with the imf because imf's uh, loans will come with very strict austerity measures which it doesn't want to implement but now it has no choice so the problem before sri lanka is that even though it has a new president that is not going to ensure political or economic stability because the president right now needs to go and speak to the imf for a loan for negotiation and those negotiations will be very hard very tough the loans might be given it will be given but it will have very stiff conditions and that may spark public unrest even more now mitigating and compounding the problem is that had there been a leader whom the people trust in power then even though those austerity measures could have been well understood but right now the person who has succeeded uh, gotabaya rajapaksa is renil vikramasinghe who is equally hated who was subject the who was subject to equal amount of ire from sri lankan protesters whose uh, whose office was burnt down it was occupied so there is very little chance that he will be accepted in fact there are already processions out there and people are saying he is not our president so i don't see this trouble going away anytime soon it this is fascinating in fact you know as reading your piece as this is like how could they mess things up so bad i mean 
and this is you know, these kind of things hit you more is because this is right in our neighborhood right this is literally our neighborhood and they kitna baju mein baithe hue hain and and i was reading your piece and i was looking at the numbers and the economic policies that these people have been adopting and even someone who does not understand economics like i don't understand economics i'll be the first one like for basics i do but not detail but yeah ye to main bhi samajhta hu and how could the leadership not understand like okay please tell everyone how badly they have messed the economy up so as i wrote in my piece and i think we should all go back to where it all started um, because the roots lie in the past uh, mm-hmm. i i first let me tell you that i do not uh, obviously gotabaya rajapaksha the entire rajapaksha clan is culpable and they are to a very large extent responsible for the precipice that sri lanka find themselves in right now but to vilify only one leader and only one clan is not wise mostly we have seen through history that yes there are mitigating factors people make mistakes people are arrogant people are full of uh, you know hubris they make uh, errors but uh, a, a leader uh, to say that rajapaksa is solely responsible he is the incarnate of all evil to have plagued sri lanka is wrong uh, the the problem goes deeper and further than that so let us start from where it all started Uh, which was um, just after the civil war ended and sri lanka wanted to rebuild the nation and there was nothing wrong in that obviously everyone uh, uh, the 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 battle weary country want everyone wanted that country to to grow and and become prosperous so at that point of time sri lanka was a low income country and it got a lot of concessionary loans from very multinational for multilateral institutions and other lenders uh, european lenders and other lend- aid agencies those loans carried very uh, very little interest those were those were soft loans carrying 0.1% 0.5% and they were spread over a long amount of time so it was easy money so they got a lot of easy money towards the uh, just this was just after the war had ended and uh, so uh, that easy money enabled sri lanka to invest a lot in infrastructure and obviously that led to growth now as sri lanka started growing and these things you know th- th- these are uh, these things were happening concurrently uh, as sri lanka started growing it needed even more money to for for the it had a strategy which is called the debt led finance strategy which is which basically that you borrow money a lot from external sources you build infrastructure inside your country you build projects and those projects give you jobs those projects bring in more money and then you that money helps you pay off those loans and you borrow more money so this in itself was was not a wrong strategy many countries do that so sri lanka was also doing that and it got a lot of money but then by the by the turn of the second decade of the new millennium uh, sri lanka's growth in effect uh, propelled it from a low income country into a low middle income country so when that happened sri lanka lost access to these concessionary and soft loans because then it no longer was eligible for these loans because these are only given to uh, they only these loans come with a certain condition so mm-hmm. when sri lanka graduated into middle low middle income country then to get external to 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 uh, finance its needs uh, to finance to build the projects and the infrastructural uh, all all the items that it needed to do it started mm-hmm. looking for money from outside and that is when uh, the western investors came in now western investors saw that sri lanka was a very big success story it was uh, almost called a nation miracle they also wanted to you know ride the asian tiger and they all want bought the sovereign bonds that were issued by the sri lankan government and 
the Sri Lankan government also happily issued the bonds and got the money. And China, at that point of time, also came out with a lot of easy loans. And uh, the, the, the thing to understand, however, here is that until 2010, the loans that Sri Lanka was getting had very little interest component. But after 2010, when it lost access to those concessionary loans, it got a lot of external debt as well. But those came at commercial terms, no longer in concessionary terms, which meant that he had to repay them back at a much higher rate of interest and at a much lower time frame. For instance, these international uh, sovereign bonds from the capital market, these bonds have a time frame of about seven years and they carry an interest rate of about 5 to 7.5%, which is pretty steep. Now, mm -hmm. in itself, once again, that is not a problem. As long as you are investing that money in creating infrastructure, which is going to help you. And that is where the first policy mistake and political opportunism came along. Uh, Rajapaksa, Mahinda Rajapaksa, who was um, the president at that time, he wanted to rebuild the small village of Hambantota from where he came, uh, a, a small sleepy fishing village, into a commercial hub of ports. So he pumped in a lot of money. He built a lot of infrastructure, which was basically white elephant. It gave nothing in return. There was a port which was built, which failed to attract any ships. There was a cricket stadium which was built. That cricket stadium remained empty for most of the times. And nowadays, I'm hearing that it is being rent out for wedding venues. Rent out as wedding venues <laughs> to generate revenue. Yeah, there, is a, there was an airport which was built. And that airport, in the vast areas of the airport, there were been reports in New York Times that elephants were seen coming into the airports. There were no air airplanes. The In the cafeterias, the, the airport staff were idling around all day because... No, no, no aircraft. There was no business there. So what was happening was that, and and the Chinese loans at that point of time, uh, you know, uh, it coincided with Xi Jinping's coming to power in China, and Xi Jinping mm -hmm. uh, well, opened this uh, Belt and Road Initiative, uh, through which it was even more interested in giving Sri Lanka a lot more money for infrastructure. So money was not a problem. And Sri Lanka kept on borrowing, kept on borrowing and kept on building infrastructure and projects. But the trouble now, though, is that since most of these projects were white elephant projects, they were neither creating jobs nor were they creating any. They, they were not. They were, these assets basically yielded nothing. Now, once that happened, then Sri Lanka had a problem. Because if your money that you have spent is going completely waste, but you have to repay that money, then what do you do? So a, a time came when Sri Lanka had to borrow more money in order to pay the past debts. And this created a vicious cycle. And once again... Sounds I'm, like I'm, a I'm, classic I'm, debt trap. Yeah, it's a, it, it was a debt trap. But I disagree with people who say that it was China who pushed Sri Lanka into debt trap because the numbers certainly don't support that theory. In fact, if you see the Sri Lanka's debt component, the highest external debt component belongs to the international sovereign bonds. 39% of them. And China mm -hmm. has a debt component of about 10.8%, which is not very high if you compare China's uh, uh, infrastructure lending to other Southeast uh, Asian countries such as Cambodia and other countries, Pakistan. Their Chinese debt component is even higher. But the problem was that these money was this money was being spent in 
and this is the most important problem and and this is this is where sri lanka's policy error and political opportunism came in mahindra rajapaksa built a lot of which is which is being called bling for structure which carries absolutely no sense and that created no jobs and nothing and that sort of created a vicious cycle there was another angle here and that is at that point of time it was not only china who was willing to lend to sri lanka there were other multinational mm-hmm. companies and even india and even india which was in india and japan they were also willing to lend but curiously uh, when mahindra rajapaksa was at the helm and this has been well documented that it was the chinese companies who usually got the projects the approval of the projects even though their loans came with a lot more interest rate these were approved and japanese loans which carried less interest rates were rejected So there is a clear case of conflict of interest and corruption here, and there have been reports that Mahinda Rajapaksa's re-election campaign in 2015 was funded partly by the Chinese companies. Basil Rajapaksa, who is the niece of uh, the Mahinda Rajapaksa, his wife had a charity. That charity donation came from Chinese companies. So China was doing all these things. It was basically corrupting the you know Rajapaksa clan had a lot of uh it, it it was it was open for corruption china tapped into that opportunity and it and it created a lot of assets inside sri lanka which carried nothing it gave nothing in return situation came to such a pass that in 2016 when when uh, sri lanka had to pay their sovereign bonds when they had to pay the uh, you know the debtors who had lent them money they had almost no money at no almost no foreign exchange at time so what did they do they leased the hubban tota port to sri lanka Uh, to china and and that money helped them in partly paying off that debt so um it has been very it is very popular uh, uh, there is a very popular saying in fact it is almost become established truth now that the hamban tota port was a, a classic example of chinese debt trap but i would beg to differ here because i think it was the other way around i think it was sri lanka's desperation for money in paying the sovereign bondholders that forced them to lease the the hamban tota port to china which they did for 99 years and obviously china didn't you know didn't mind because it was a very strategically located port uh so in 2016 the first uh the credit rating agencies first noted that this nonsense is going on in sri lanka and then they did a downgrade now once you downgrade a company's sovereign rating then what happens is that you no longer have access to the money that you were having so long from the international capital market which is the bonds mm-hmm. because then yes. not many not many people who in 2009 2010 and 2011 looking at sri lanka's growth rate and sri lanka in 2012 had 9.1% growth rate so at that point of time many people were ready to open their purse but come 2016 when the macroeconomic imbalances set in these people were not ready so obviously people started staying away but then that doesn't mean that sri lanka's problems went away sri lanka needed even more money for borrowing they needed the money because they had to service the past debt and i have some figures here which is really mind boggling uh at one point of time sri lanka's debt to gdp ratio which is the uh, <coughs> ratio which, uh, which 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 a government has the uh, has to service the debt the, the percentage of the debt uh, the percentage of gdp which goes towards servicing the debt is around 120% right which is in itself not very high however and this is something a sri lankan economist has pointed out sri lanka's debt to gdp ratio is 120% which is not very high but in sri lanka's case 70% of the government revenue goes towards servicing the debt which means that for every rupee 
that a Sri Lankan citizen pays, only 30% of that rupee goes towards the government for its own needs and 70% goes towards, you know, uh, servicing the interest rate of the past loans. This is clearly unsustainable. And then Sri Lanka's problems started compounding during that time. And as it usually happens, a policy error uh, sometimes is accompanied by a lot of extraneous factors over which you don't have any control. So in Sri Lanka's case, everything that could have gone wrong went wrong. In 2019, uh, there was this Easter Sunday bombing that you, you'll remember. Now, yeah. these series of Easter Sunday bombings, they uh, uh, sort of scared off the foreign tourists. And Sri Lanka is, is a country which uh, lives off tourism. Totally depends a, on tourism, yeah. Yes, it's a two, it's, it's $2 billion to $5 billion per annum industry. And uh, when 2019 Easter Sunday bombings happened, uh, Sri Lankan exchequer suffered another huge jolt because that money stopped coming. And then there was another policy error, which is that in 2019, after coming to power, mind, uh, Gotabaya Rajapaksa, he decided to do a deep tax cut. In fact, so sweeping was that tax cut that it shaved off 2% of the GDP. Oh. And, the Sri, and the Sri Lankan finance minister in May this year has admitted to the parliament that in 2019, <laughs> in 2019 and 2020, Sri Lanka lost 10 lakh tax-paying citizens. 10 lakh, 5 Wait, lakh each. What? Exactly. 5 lakh taxpayers each stopped paying taxes in 2019 and 2020. So 10 lakh taxpayers stopped paying taxes. And, the, and, and obviously the government revenue crashed even more. So you can see what is happening. As already a, 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 an economy which was going to the dogs went to the dogs even further when this tax cut was implemented. And the situation became extremely bad when the uh, credit rating agencies did, then did another round of downgrading and this time they downgraded Sri Lanka's sovereign rating to almost junk which means that nobody was willing to pay money to Sri Lanka anymore. Then how would they how would they carry on with their governmental expenses? So then they turned to the next, the only thing that, that they could have done, they started printing money. And uh, I think it was uh, in October 2021, when uh, the amount of money that was printed, the extra amount of money that was printed went up to 42%, resulting in sky high inflation. And many economists were pointing out that this is a ticking time bomb, you shouldn't be doing this. So these were policy errors. And then of course, we all know that in 2020, the pandemic came and finished off whatever was left of the tourism industry. And after the pandemic uh, 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 was over, there were a lot of, obviously the government had to do a lot of um, heavy lifting in terms of giving the tourism sector some money uh, and also, you know, vaccination and stuff like that, which took away even more. So all in all, this is how Sri Lanka went towards the doom. And then uh, finally, uh, I think we should also talk about the reason which many people have been talking about. Uh, Sri Lanka's uh, tourism is one a very important sector through which they earn foreign exchange. The other important source of foreign exchange is tea industry. The tea industry is very important to Sri Lanka because it creates a lot of jobs in the rural sector as well as it brings a lot of foreign exchange because tea, Sri Lanka's tea industry is huge. Uh, the trouble is that in 2019, Gotabaya in 2020, I think it was April 2020, Gotabaya implemented this policy of banning all chemical fertilizers. And then the tea industry as well as the rice production completely crashed. There are many theories as to why he did that. Uh, some plausible, some implausible. 
I have said that there, he did that partly for three reasons. One of the reasons was that he wanted to uh, save some money in paying subsidize, uh, chemical subsidizer fertilizers, uh, for, uh, chemical fertilizer subsidies, uh, because you know fertilizer prices were going up due to the mm-hmm. war in Ukraine. Then he also wanted to ban the chemical fertilizers because uh, Sri Lanka's chemical fertilizer uh, uh, bill was pretty high. But then once you do that, you have to understand that there are no free lunches in the world. If you ban chemical fertilizer, then you have to use something in return. So what was his mm-hmm. solution? He he bought into the he got into the green pill sold by the green elite that organic farming is the way to go. Eighty-five percent of Sri Lankan fer- uh, farmers use or chemical fertilizers. Overnight, they were asked to use organic farm, organic manure, and the and the rice and the tea cult- uh, production completely crashed. Uh, Sri Lanka used to be self-sufficient in rice. It had to import rice worth four hundred and forty million US dollars. Uh, tea industry, I think it it uh, crashed. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm I can't remember the figure, but the worst in twenty-three years. And uh, worst part is that the farmers obviously became very angry. And now the money that uh, Gotabaya had saved in banning the chemical fertilizer went in compensating them, compensating and subsidizing. So in the end, it came to nothing. At the end of the day, he did reverse the decision, but by then the damage was done. So this is in a nutshell how Sri Lanka went. And you know, the final push obviously came from the Russia war, uh, which uh, pushed up the commodity prices which uh, made fuel higher, uh, much more dearer, which made other commodities much more dearer. And uh, for a nation which was already pauperized, Sri Lanka had absolutely nothing left. In, in fact, um, there, is a, there, is a, there is a stats which is very, uh, and I'm uh, quoting from an economist here, uh, which is very striking. Uh, if, you, if you look at that stat, I'll, I'll just, uh, let me just read it loud. Mm-hmm. Uh, just give me one moment. Let me find out uh, this thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was just thinking as you were saying things like everything that could go wrong possibly wrong. has yeah, gone wrong, wrong in yeah, Sri so, Lanka. Exactly. So this, uh, so this um, economist points out that at the end of 2019, Sri Lanka's foreign reserves were approximately $8 billion, which could cover around three to four, uh, four months of imports. In March 2022, the foreign reserves were below $1 billion, which covers less than a month's imports. And on the 5th of May 2020, the finance minister announced in the parliament that the country's usable reserves are 50 million US dollars, which is equivalent to the cost of one shipment of fuel. This is um, uh, uh, this has been written by uh, a Sri Lankan economist uh, called Kithmina Yawage. So I I was uh, I was astounded, and I looked up the stats, and uh, at that point of time, what what did, what could Sri Lanka do? And uh, so we saw these reports of long power cuts, um, no fuel, um, all offices closed, all schools shut down, paper mills shut down, and there were a paucity of basic necessities. And that obviously triggered the Aragalaya movement, which uh, which eventually dethroned Gotabaya. And uh, many of the much of the ire was also directed at uh, Vikramasinghe, who's right now the president. So I, I think he's part of the problem. Yeah, but. Okay, I get it has been a series of um, bad policy decisions, cutting across what I would say party lines in Sri Lanka. Basically, there, it's not there is one, one more. There is one more important point. I'm I'm sorry to interrupt you. I forgot to mention that 
you know, <clears throat> the, the liberal lobby in India uh, has been uh, using the Sri Lanka crisis to grandstand a lot. Uh, apparently, how this... Um, India is going to be next... Yeah, that that is completely uh, that that is that that is non-serious. Um, I, as I wrote in my piece, it, it doesn't really merit uh, a rebuttal. But uh, one charge was laid that uh, the Gotabaya Rajapaksa's um, uh, dictatorship and his anti-minorityism is partly responsible. Looking for um, social causes in an economic implosion is more often than not wrong. In this case, it is completely wrong. And and the most important thing to understand here is that. Many of the impulses which happened also were carried on by the government which came in between and in which Sirisena was the president. So there was a, there is a sort of continuity in Sri Lanka's debt-led financing strategy. For instance, before Gotabaya came into power in 2019, there was a period when Mahinda had gone. Gotabaya came in in 2015, 2019. There was a gap of three mm-hmm. to four years. During that period, when the Sirisena government was in charge, they could have gone to the IMF they could have asked for a restructuring of the loan. They could have asked China to restructure their loan. That's saying, look, boss, we can't pay so much, so much high, uh, so high interest rates because our the assets that we have built with your money, they are not yielding us anything. So you give us a restructuring of the loan. Let us give us a little more, you know, uh, by way of uh, relief. You can, you know, just push down the interest rate a bit, a little bit. That did not happen. The IMF negotiations never took place because the because the political leaders were scared that if austerity measures are implemented, then their situation will become dire. So there was a lot of self-interest at work. And then finally, <laughs> the one thing which is laid at Rajapaksa's door, that he is singularly responsible for banning chemical fertilizer. That also is not accurate. Because if you look at what was happening in, uh, during the Sirisena's uh, presidency, Sirisena also vowed to make Sri Lanka toxin-free. Uh, he he said that you know many of Sri Lanka's rivers and many of Sri Lanka's land is 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 going totally poisonous, becoming poisonous due to excessive use of fertilizers. So this impulse of returning Sri Lanka into an idyllic state, uh, you know, turning back the clock, existed in in all the political leadership that that continued. It was not just the Gotabaya regime. So this is an important uh, point to make because uh, many people are saying that it is only one clan which is responsible for the ruin. I think there has been an oversight across the uh, political line. Yeah, so basically they are all in agreement when it comes to bad ideas. Yeah, Yeah, I could say so. Yeah, so... Yeah, but I just wanted to, and it's good you mentioned this fertilizer bit because I think at least on social media or in WhatsApp university world, you know, there's been a lot of straw manning that, oh, it is because you went organic, you went there. Like you can't run the economy down of a country just by using organic farming as an excuse. I mean, that was never sitting well with me at a personal level. I was like, "Eh, they just did organic farming and the whole country collapsed. I mean, what the country was only organic farming or what? Nothing else was happening in the country or what? No, no. That is, that is not the point, but organic farming uh, is obviously not the panacea that it is being it is being uh, been touted by the climate activist lobby. But how dare you that, disagree with Vandana Shiva? How <laughs> dare you disagree with Vandana? Shiva? Oh yeah, she's she's still defined, but uh, that is a different story. I think that uh, in this case, it it did contribute to Sri Lanka's problems, but it was as I said, it wasn't the sole reason behind Sri Lanka's problems. There is a there is a very uh, 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 good way of looking at this is that had Sri Lanka not gone organic, had they not been in such a position, the answer is yes. They could have they, they have ended 
in this position all the same because the trend the trajectory of the economy was going downhill and nowhere else what the organic farming bid did was that this folly just hastened that downfall accelerate kar diya that's what yeah, it did yeah. it accelerated yeah. the process it did not cause it it was it was uh, it was a necessary but not sufficient condition uh, uh, what, yeah. what, what yeah. we say right then so, there was so the, the, yeah tell me. go ahead go ahead go ahead. no no go ahead go ahead go ahead go ahead go ahead no i was going to say that uh, uh, in 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 i i am a critic of this organic farming because many uh, scientific studies many uh, domain experts have pointed out that in order for you to use organic farming you need at least 5 to 7 times more land to produce the same kind of uh, manure that exactly. an artificial fertilizer does right where is that land that land is simply not there uh, so as long as organic farming is niche as long as it caters to a very small amount of people as long as as long as it it does not expand in scale it is fine it is not scalable at all in fact this was one of the big problems why this thing happened because gotabaya wanted to scale it and that is where it crashed because obviously the uh, you know i've been reading reports the farmers said that they were so desperate that they tried everything from coconut uh, to to uh, manure from the animals nothing was working nothing could bring the crop up to the level that it was there before in the in the era of chemical fertilizer so uh, this was certainly a folly but another thing we have to understand is that the movement the political movement which was partly responsible for bringing gotabaya to power was a promise that it, it he will restore organic farming but that was supposed to happen over a period of 10 years not in one year not obviously certainly not in 6 months which he which he was pretty desperate uh, because he wanted to save some money which he did and, and obviously crazy people out. man i can't believe that these crazy people come up with such absurd ideas like why don't you try gmo What is wrong with GMO? Just go and try GMO, man. I mean, and then 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 this and then then this, this response. It, it you know the problem with the organic farming crowd is the more the they're the most unscientific people I've met in my life. The most unscientific people. I say this with full responsibility. I say this with full responsibility. It is this is they get so angry if you say no. Uh, like I get what organic farming is. Do it in your backyard. Do it, it in is, your it backyard. Is. It is not exactly. scalable. Yeah, it's not scalable. But let's now focus because look, we, the reason we are talking about this, reason you wrote about it, and I am talking about it in the podcast is that as Indians, we yeah. have a profound affection and love hmm. with Sri Lanka. Whether we like it or not, we have that bond with Sri Lanka. Not only does this bond go deep into our cultural history, it, there are neighbors, and uh, for India at least. from a geopolitical perspective having a stable sri lanka having a sri lanka that has uh, friendly relations with us is of paramount importance now from what i understand and shrimoy correct me if i'm wrong as of now there's only one country right now that has not abandoned sri lanka in that sense and that is india right as of now in this current situation that they're in yes we have given them uh, by way of credit lines and direct help around 4 billion us dollars and uh, we have also created a task force which uh, is looking at all the ways in which we can help sri lanka and not just that we have requested the imf to please redesignate sri lanka as a low income country so that the eligibility criteria of the concessionary soft loans are again available to them these are very important steps none of the other countries have done so china has 
you know sri lanka has been asking china since 2015 for um, uh, you know to to take a look at the way this uh, chinese white elephants were not working and even now sri lanka has been desperately seeking help from china for for these loans and china has simply refused to restructure the loans and you know why because china believe china understands that many of the loans many of the loans that it has given to these uh, nations very poor nations around uh, south asia Not south asia back. southeast asia these uh, have gone into run into trouble and if it allows sri lanka to get away with restructuring then many of these other borrowers will also ask and you know very bad precedent yeah so china doesn't want to do that it is it is uh, it is stalling right now it is stalling it has not come up with any, any tangible help towards sri lanka and remember the rajapaksa dynasty had given china undue uh, you know favors it had made a lot of favors towards china the chinese government many projects which india had started were abandoned in in the middle because of because of the political stance taken by the rajapaksa dynasty because china clearly gamed them they they understood and this is what china does you know china uh, sort of exploits corrupt regimes like hell i mean it has done so in many 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 countries it 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 has absolutely no morality to speak of in 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 that way china is is a hyper real state you know it only does what is of interest to it and there is no morality attached to its actions uh, so it would it will give money to the most corrupted leaders in in africa even if that leader is siphoning off his own country mm-hmm. to dictatorial regimes even if it knows that the dictator will will eventually build a corrupt regime and then impoverish his own people it has no qualms in doing that and it knew that rajapaksa what the rajapaksa clan was doing but it still kept pumping money into those projects so this is a big problem yeah and and this is where i think when it comes from a foreign policy perspective that you know for is foreign policy merely transactionalism i've always said that it's transactionalism but the relationship india has with let's say sri lanka nepal uh, burma bhutan you know mm-hmm. these countries that i'm talking about is not just skin deep it is soul deep whether we like it or not it is we have a deep civilizational connection with all these nations we do whether we like it or not we do which is why when india tends to be deal with these countries and i know there is a section in sri lanka that there is an anti india sentiment also whether we like it or not there is i mean how deep it is or how how much it is i don't know and i'm not going to comment on that because i'm not an expert on sri lanka but i still feel as indians and as as a nation india has a deep moral responsibility at a time of crisis like this for sri lanka and where the chinese have completely jisko bolte na hindi mein nimbu nichod liya hai unka puri tarah se chinese are ruthless in this and i completely understand their their way of looking at they're like isko kiya to aage sabko karna padega but i mean i don't know what else can be sun and you are 100% right there but what does india do beyond the credit line now do you uh, are, or are you planning to write on what possible steps india could take in the future because uh, the struggle we were having from our geopolitical perspective was the growing influence of china in sri lanka now it, sri lanka is where it is i hate to use the word but i have no other way it is an opportunity now for india to restructure its relationship with sri lanka and bring it back to uh, to uh, the you know a, a higher pedestal so what are the further steps beyond in your view that we've already taken that we could possibly take to even further help the average citizen in sri lanka 
while it also improves our relationship and it doesn't also become a huge cost for the indian economy right so uh, uh economically i think india is doing whatever it can i don't think that there is a lot more that it can do you have to understand that the the global situation right now is not very good for any country right now we are mm-hmm. we are in a headwinds and uh, we have our own struggles uh, the due to the very uh, relentless uh, strengthening of the us dollar almost all the asian currencies have taken a beating and rupee is no exception it has touched yeah. that psychological mark of 80 right now mm-hmm. so we have our own trouble our current account deficit is increasing our fiscal deficit is increasing so we don't have a lot of fiscal space to financially bail out sri lanka much as we would like to do we don't have that fiscal space so uh, in that limited fiscal space that we have i think we have already done a lot and i don't see how what more we can do by way of economic help but uh, as well as politically helping the country is concerned i would be very careful because um, uh, our fingers have been burnt in the past uh, we have tried to help sri lanka in 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 uh, in, in its battle against uh, the the civil war we have tried to help uh, nepal the madhesis and in when when you meddle into another country even if with good intentions uh, in most cases um, you know the the result is is uh, is, is uh, not in your favor we have um, we have created um, a constituency an anti india constituency in nepal that many politicians feed off and uh, mm-hmm. i think that exists even in sri lanka but I, it does it that, does i've spoken to a few sri yeah. lankans yeah 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 but having said that i will take a sort of um i i i don't want to uh, sound very alarmist i think these things you know these things come and go if you look at what was happening in maldives as an example um during the yamin government uh, which was beholden to china almost in more ways than one maldives had mm-hmm. become very anti india in its outlook and perspective and in the actions that it were taking but when there was a political shift in maldives and then india clawed back and right now india's relationship with maldives is in a very even keel it's in a good position with sri lanka also uh, when the rajapaksa mahinda rajapaksa was defeated and shirishena government came into power before gotabaya's uh, tenure uh, there was as i said from 2015 to 2019 those four years or so we had a good relationship with sri lanka and some of our projects were taking off on the ground so i think at the end of the day india will be there it is not going anywhere it is the first responder for many of these countries and these countries know that what these countries more often than not do is that they play one uh, india against china and china against india in order to maximize the benefits for themselves this is what small states do i don't do. blame them so i have don't to <laughs> so this is what small states do and we have to understand we have to accept and we have to take we have to exercise our strategic patience we cannot be impatient uh we will obviously be there we will help them in whatever way we can but i am against political interference of any kind even if it feels that you know this regime is weak maybe this regime should come into power maybe then sri lanka's problems will be solved even if that solution presents itself before our eyes we should not take any step beyond it let the sri lankans go through the political due political process even if that takes a longer bit of time it will but eventually they achieve a stability which outside interference can never achieve what will and will happen in the end is that the anti india constituency will grow even louder so i think india should take a long view be patient help sri lanka in any way possible economically in any way possible and as i said it is already approaching the imf as a guarantor because imf needs guarantors 
uh, guarantor for Sri Lanka. It is asking IMF to give uh, Sri Lanka some more concessions. So these things India will always do, and I think it is already doing. I mm. don't think that the Indian government will politically interfere. Uh, though some uh, parties in the south, you know, the DMK and the ADMK, they are making some noises due to their political constituencies because obviously there is a Tamil contingent there. But I think Indian government is. Uh, I, I hope that it is. It is wiser than that. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and and you know, uh, as you were talking about political infer- interference, uh, yeah. and I'm sitting in America, in DC here. Hmm. I was like, are you trying to say what the Americans do everywhere in the world is wrong? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so this is the typical American mindset. Like, is this our guy or not? <laughs> That's yeah, all yeah. they think yeah, about. Yeah. You're so true. You're so true. Actually, yes. Uh, you know, I I I I'm I'm really surprised at times, and I, I this doesn't get discussed too much in India. I think the American uh, outlook towards the world is very binary. Um, there is very little space for nuance, and this surprises me a lot. In many places, they simply do not understand this concept of neutrality. They do not understand that a, that a state can take a neutral position in anything. It is either for us. Or against us, and this is this has been going on for a very long time. I think it cuts through all the political uh, establishments there. I, I I firmly believe because this is a cultural point, and how a society functions is downstream from culture. Societies and foreign right, policies right. are all downstream from their cultural identity. And I'm so going to say right, something very point. controversial, um, but Abrahamic societies function in Abrahamic ways. You're either <laughs> the believer or you're a disbeliever. So either yeah. you're with us or you're against us, and if you're against us, how do we make sure you guys don't function? But the non-Abrahamic worldview is, अच्छा होगा उसका भगवान कुछ यार अच्छा नहीं भी होगा उसका यार I don't know. But Maybe then you see, has... but then you, but then you see, Kushal, what is happening is that during the America's uh, unipolar moment, stuff which America could have gotten away with, they are increasingly finding it difficult to get away with. For instance, mm-hmm. um, during his campaigning stage. Biden said that he'll make uh, Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman a pariya, and then last week he had to humiliatingly go and do a fist bump with him, and he's now getting roasted for it. So things are changing. The unipolar moment is gone, and uh, if he's not our guy, how can we make sure that he becomes our guy, or how can we cripple him? This policy is not. Um, is is facing more problems than it was in the past. So I think yeah. that is yeah. something the, for them. To the think most about. hilarious aspect of this was I was listening to American media over here and just cracking up. I think they bothered about a fist bump. What is wrong with these people? They, they literally, there was there were discussions after discussions on the fist bump he had. I said, "Get a life, man." What is what is wrong with you people? You're just discussing a fist bump. It's like usne apna pair aise rakha. This is. Uh, but I don't want to digress. But okay, before we wrap things up, because I know we 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 have a time constraint too. But Sri Lanka, you know, I think we should discuss it. You know, Sri Lanka. You made a passing reference to it, and I always like to take people on face value, even when I disagree with them or agree with them. Whatever you know, I I like to listen to people. So you know there was this, or oh, these are the states in India that are going down the Sri Lanka route. 
and there there are these uh, mentions and you know ironically the left wing will point the right wing states out the right wing will point the left wing states out it, this is wonderful in india there there is this class. we are so openly biased towards each other we will only see the flaw in the other we will never see within ourselves as if india as a nation does not exist everything exists ki wo uska hai ye mera hai aisa it's human nature at the end of the day but yeah, yeah. what lessons does india learn from sri lanka because at the end of the day we're all indians right we live in the republic yeah. we live in this country together we are all in this together so what uh, do you see any alarm signs for us as a nation that we should watch out for and maybe we can also learn these lessons and i'll give this as our last and final uh, detailed segment and then we'll wrap it up um this would probably be uh, better answered by an economist and i'm not an economist by any stretch of the imagination i i can only give you um, what i think uh, is is uh, uh, yes uh, the i think the primary reason behind sri lanka's faltering is that uh, its debt fuel finance structure uh, didn't work and it had a lot of external debts now large countries like brazil and india and south africa their debt components has an equal amount of internal debts as in from their own domestic from their own citizens so that gives them a certain bit of resilience which sri lanka was denied because uh, when you borrow from external sources the the terms and conditions of those sources are not to your uh, benefit but when you borrow from internal sources you get a little more leeway so here india has a little bit of insulation um i also think that our uh, strategy is unlike sri lanka's is is different because we are a very large country and um, in many cases we are self sufficient in, in a lot of things unlike sri lanka which has to import a lot of things from outside so there also i think india is well placed india is also well placed as far as macroeconomic stability is concerned our fundamentals are strong the center's debt component and this has been discussed at nauseam in on social media that our our uh, debt to, to gdp ratio is also high yes it is high but japan's is even higher than us france's is even higher than us that doesn't really matter what matters is how much debt we have to finance each year and what is the debt component the center's debt component is pretty low i think it's in the single digits so that is not mm-hmm. a problem but yes even though as a nation india is better placed some states are profligate and i think the 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 culture of freebies is is not a very good culture uh, this creates a lot of inflationary pressure it creates a lot of imbalance macroeconomic imbalance in in the state's finances and many states are not doing that well uh, i think that is largely uh, due to the political culture of certain parties i don't think that the bjp believes in that and i'm i'm happy that it doesn't but some current you know uh, political parties believe in that culture that is dangerous um but overall i think kushal that i will i, I will i will have to say that i don't see uh, the sri lankan case as uh, a cautionary tale for india uh, it might be a cautionary tale for many other smaller countries with a high debt burden but i don't see it as a cautionary tale for india i think we are comparable more to uh, bigger countries like china and how their their their, their macroeconomic stability and how they are approaching certain issues there is more to be learned from those bigger countries uh, but i i this comparison with sri lanka and india doesn't really appeal to me i'm i'm sorry if i dis- you know i didn't give you the kind of answer you were seeking for but that is how i feel about it no that that that's fair enough because even look i i i don't understand these comparisons like 
uh, are freebies bad yes uh, like uh, 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 in india every single government tends to do this they announce freebies you know from uh, bjp giving x to aam aadmi party with and their eternal love for free electricity and free water and free this and free bus tickets and free that but look it's a cautionary tale in a sense that there, there is a limit to giving things for free up to a certain oh, point you obviously. can give things for free oh, that, is, that, that, is, that is obvious and, is and obvious, secondly man. there is no such thing as a free meal somebody is paying no. for it somewhere obviously that, there is no such thing as a free meal you know if there the was a free meal yeah, there are cross subsidies happening but hmm. i think the indian economy is robust enough to handle all of this but but what i what i have learned personally from the the case that has happened in sri lanka is that at least in my view that how little the world cares for small states that's what i have learned you know small state out there nobody cares barely any discussion even on the indian media landscape barring you know the discussion here or there nothing was discussed but what i'll tell you is what bothered me and i know you also commented when i tweeted about it like the solution to this and if you are a sri lankan watching this and, and please try and understand i am with you but yeah i mean what nonsense is taking over all those houses i mean jumping in the swimming pool taking a shower jumping on the bed and playing wwe although that was a hilarious one i mean full props to those people who are playing wwe here it will definitely go in the sham sharma show meme review <laughs> but on a serious note so i i i i i think that's an important point i and i think i i started my piece writing that uh, see i i don't i don't agree with what the protesters have done but i can understand why they did it see um there needs to be a political marker for protest movements a sense of achievement so for them occupying those palaces occupying those very expensive buildings the sources of power and showing the the rulers that look you are not more powerful than us when we move we can bring you down and then eventually throwing that throwing that president away this created a sense of achievement to the protesters that is sometimes very very important in a country where uh, which is on the verge of a civil war because this sense of achievement of of having a political achievement then allows the people to vent their frustration and move move ahead with life so that political and economic stability can come in and this is where the problem lies i think the opposition and i and i would firmly criticize the role the sri lankan opposition has taken in order to save their skin they refused to join the political process they allowed vikramasinghe knowing that he is going to be the fall guy knowing that he is one of the most hated guys in in island right now they allowed him to become the president simply because they were too scared to own the crisis and i would point my finger at someone like sajit premadasa he had no business sitting aside he had no business pulling his name out he should have gone ahead he should have led in you know uh, creating a unity government made tough negotiations he, i understand why he did not do that because he knows that the solutions are even more toxic than the situation right now so that's why he was trying to save his own skin but that is a very very shameful cop out and i think sri lanka will will face even more trouble going ahead its troubles are not over yeah not only that and i think burning down houses is never a solution oh, of course and not it is uh... breaking things is never a solution anarchy has never gotten anything right and uh, i don't know what, what then, you know these are say. these are these are people's movements no these are uh, this was wasn't necessarily led by one any particular leader and when that happens uh, sometimes things go overboard this has been true 
through history. Yeah, they, didn't they take over the state broadcaster also for a while and was yeah, somebody who's rare? Yeah, they, yeah they I did. mean, I don't know. Yeah. I, some, I don't know. Uh, do, do you see the possibility of the army taking over there now? I don't think so. The army could have taken over earlier had they wished to. I think the army is... No, I, 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 I don't think so. I think the army is... Um, it's, it's not Pakistan, thankfully. But some people were making, uh, you know, uh, comparisons with the January 6 events in the US. And I think that's a misplaced comparison. The What is happening in Sri Lanka and what happened on January 6, uh, that, that there are there no similarities there. Beyond the visual similarities, there isn't anything similar. Yeah, I agree with you. All right, all right, Srimo. Uh, uh, you know, yeah. it's always a pleasure talking to you. Um, yeah, always. A, any any you. last words? Any last words before we wrap today's discussion up? No, oh, I, I I think that um, I am very uh, surprised and I'm I'm very disheartened at the level of discourse in India on Sri Lanka. Uh, most of these are very ill-informed, um, politically prejudiced, and uh, even from sources which I. Which, which I expected to be more knowledgeable. I'm, I'm surprised. I've been surprised by uh, the by the grandstanding that has uh, that has gone on without anyone putting their heads into understanding what really was happening. If you don't understand the problem, then you would not be able to describe it. Uh, and if you can't describe the problem, then you will be prone to making even more wrong analysis. That is what is happening. So I've, I'm, I've been a little surprised in, on that front. Yeah, I agree with you. But then it, in the age of social media, everything is about grandstanding. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and yeah, if you true. don't shout and scream, you don't get attention. And after all, yeah. everybody's looking for that, you know, eyeballs. Hmm. And it's, it, it is what it is. But well, you know, some 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 people like you and I and many others on, on, on this uh, podcasting space, we try to have decent conversations yeah. and we'll go on Quite having so. them. So, so thank, thank you, you very much, much for uh, thank you very much for coming, Srimoy. Uh, guys, uh, before we thank wrap you, things thank up, you for me. so Srimoy has also written a wonderful essay on the same thing uh, on firstpost.com. Uh, in the link of this this podcast, whether you're listening to the audio version or you're going to watching uh, you're going to watch this on YouTube. Uh, in the description of the podcast will be a link to the piece, the essay written by Srimoy. Please go and read that. Also, I'll, I have uh, Srimoy's uh, Twitter handle attached in this. And uh, you please go and follow Srimoy on uh, Twitter and, and on social media. And as far as I'm concerned, you know the drill. Please subscribe to the Charvak Podcast YouTube channel. Like the video. Leave your comments over there. And uh, if you know some good Sri Lankan speakers who can come and give the Sri Lankan's perspective from a first-hand view, please do. Believe me, I've tried to reach out. Nobody has come back. Maybe I don't know enough people in Sri Lanka and I'm the one who's guilty. But if if somebody does listen to this, please come out. I would love to hear a Sri Lankan's perspective. How do they think about it? Uh, and please support the Charbuck Podcast either on YouTube or on Patreon or by the merch or, you know, through UPI. I'll see you guys next time. Until then, namaste. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.